Bandwidth for Priority One Podcast is brought to you by Playa Escondida. Ever dreamed of visiting Planet Risa? Well, Playa Escondida is the ultimate beach resort excursion. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains, and you're listening to episode 143 of Priority One Podcast, the premier Star Trek online podcast, recorded Thursday, September 26th, 2013, live on trekradio.net, and available for download or streaming on Monday mornings on PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. And I'm Tony. Well, Tony, let's jump right in. Tell us what we've got coming up this week. Well, this week we trek out 61 movie sins committed by Star Trek Into Darkness. Yes, only 61 that were noted by this video. In Stone News this week, we find out what happened to the highly anticipated feature episode we were expecting this month, as well as some interesting changes to Lobi that hit the holodeck this week. Also, a very sought-after Tribble is finally available for players in the Sea Store, and Captain Gecko answers some community questions in the recent Interview a Dev blog. And... So much more. And going on in this episode's Community Spotlight, Justin Shivery Bean Lowmaster presents his Foundry Mission review of Cute Fuzzy Things by author Hippie John. Later in the show, we'll open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming from you, our loyal listeners. Captain's Priority One Podcast survives only by your generous, real-world donations. Visit Priority One Podcast and help us reach our monthly goals. With your help, we can help you feel closer to the big conventions with live broadcasts, on-site interviews, and much more. More importantly, we need to keep the site alive by contributing to the costs of running this volunteer production. Visit PriorityOnePodcast.com for more information on how you can help keep this show moving forward. Before we move on with the show, many of you know I am a huge supporter of the arts. Musical, visual, you name it. Well, a co-worker of mine is currently in school studying graphic design and visual art. I commissioned him for a piece and it, oh man, it turned out amazing. So I'd like to continue to support his endeavors and he's begun creating Star Trek inspired canvas art. I have to say, what he's created is beautiful. There are really no words to describe it when you see this in person. So if you're a fan of Star Trek, rare collectibles, and love supporting aspiring artists, then check out his first auction currently on eBay. Links, of course, will be in the show notes, but you can do a search for Ambassador Class Starship Splatter Painting, and the seller should be Splatter Studios. I assure you, this is definitely a showpiece worth hanging on your wall. I mean, I have... Well, let's get ready to trek out 61 Sins of Star Trek Into Darkness. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. Captains, spoiler alert! 
Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Earlier this week, TrekNews.net covered a video review of Star Trek Into Darkness by YouTube channel Cinema Sins. Now, it's about a seven-minute video that goes through the movie and calls out all the BS that was in the film. The most obvious BS. He only got up to 61. Right, right. The most obvious BS. The video doesn't just review the Star Trek BS, right, and liberties that were taken, but also just cinema, continuity BS. Things directors should catch. Exactly, exactly. And writers. And caught in post-edit as well. Editors should catch. They should catch this in the script rewrite. <laughs> so we encourage you to check out the video. It's a short video, well, seven minutes or so, but very well pieced together with awesome narration. We picked out a few of these sins that we found to be the most appalling. So the first sin that I enjoyed was their joke on the civilization of Nibiru that now worships the Enterprise, much like the 40 million people on the planet Earth that worship the Enterprise. Yeah, yeah. A little dig at Trekkies, but I dug it. Yeah, it it was fun. It It was fun. And I think that number might be a little low. Probably. (laughs) The next one, you you and I were discussing this a little bit. It was the mind meld between Spock and Pike as Pike was bleeding out from his shrapnel wounds of the laser beam attack from Consul Spaceship. Where Spock just like goes, huh, I wonder what it feels like when a human being is dying. Well, I've got amazing telepathic powers. Let's just find out. And he just basically just, like, I'm just really curious to see what it's like when you die, Captain Pike. So, um, coming in, watch out. Well, here's the thing, is that, okay, I see why you have an issue with it, which is, you know, Spock's like, I wonder what it's like when a human dies. Let me use you as a little guinea pig here. Oh, damn, it sucks. Okay, I get it. But... How different is the mental violation in comparison to in Wrath of Khan when Spock does it to McCoy right before he goes into the chamber? He does the same thing. Okay, that's fine. And in addition, in the Wrath of Khan, Spock also assaults McCoy by putting him in a nerve pinch and knocks him unconscious on the way into it. However, here's the difference. Spock was going to die in Wrath of Khan. He was going in there to sacrifice himself, and he was sort of... I don't know, performing the last rites and sort of saying, I should be able to do if there were Vulcans around, but there's not any Vulcans around. And so I'm sorry, Dr. McCoy, but I'm going to do this in return for which I will save your freaking life. I'm going to go in there. I'm going to like prevent the ship from being blasted apart by the Genesis wave. A little something for the effort, Bones. There's a bit of a trade there. Yes, it might be a little unsavory, perhaps, but perhaps justified. Spock, on the other hand, Pike's laying there dying, and Spock isn't, like, giving him CPR or, like, patching him up or nothing. Hello, little bandage, a little uh, CPR, some chest compressions. Can you put a little pressure here? <laughs> a little pressure. I'm kind of bleeding out. I'm kind of bleeding out. My wounds are on my back. If you could turn me over and elevate my legs so I don't go into shock, keep the blood in the... What are you doing with your hand? No, no, I told you, my my lacerations are on my back. <laughs> I understand that Spock is trying to save his own soul by feeling what a human feels at the moment of death. Okay, I get that. But I would have rather have it being interpreted as Spock was trying to give peace to Pike as he transitioned into nothingness. The next one of these is uh, the model on Admiral Marcus's desk, which James almost immediately pointed out in our discussions. That was a good joke. So it is obvious 
that the vengeance, the USS Vengeance, is sitting on Admiral Marcus's desk, and this is supposed to be the you know top secret ship, and yet he's got a little model mm. of it. So yeah. that was funny. And then there's the Uhura Spock lovers quarrel in the space shuttle on the top secret mission down to the Klingon homeworld, where they just kind of take a quick time out to talk about their feelings. When Spock should have his eyes on the radar and Uhura should be scanning for communications or whatever she's there doing or whatnot. And yet they just, just a minute, Captain, I have to complain to my boyfriend about his insensitivity. And we have talked about this before, is that Uhura is a huge character. You know, this character revolutionized television, okay, as being the first african-american actor to be in a leadership role on the bridge of a naval ship yeah michelle nichols has told the story repeatedly of how dr martin luther king told her don't quit that show right now in this film that was completely disrespected and disregarded i mean all that came out of uhura's mouth was spock doesn't love me and that's more of a cultural and film disrespect i think than even trek Because we're talking about culture here, and to minimalize that character so insensitively is just, I don't know, it did bother me significantly. And then Spock talks about the mind meld there, too, you know, about about why he justified his mind meld retroactively in the middle of the lover's quarrel, which I'm sure got him points somehow. I don't know. Okay, moving on, because there's more. One of the highlights for the movie with me, and I laughed out loud while I was watching it, was there's this line where Sulu is strapping himself in on the bridge when the Enterprise is crashing through the atmosphere and they're all going to die and the warp core is misaligned and Spock says abandoned ship and the narrator to the 61 Sins video says, you know what would come in handy right about now? A standard issue portable transwarp beaming device. Yeah. Yes. Because, yes. you know, that thing's small enough you could fit like a half a dozen of them just like under the helm console and just have people just, you know, we're going down on the Klingon border. Oh, I know. We'll just beam ourselves back to Starfleet Command across the sector. That should be like a life preserver on the ships, on all these ships now. There should like be hanging from the ceiling, you know, like an ejection handle. Uh, it's just the portable transport beaming device. I'll just beam myself home. <sighs> and you know what? That was stolen out of Nemesis. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're right. That was 110% stolen off of Nemesis. Hmm. Except the Nemesis, you could only like beam across the, you know, street. Okay. But speaking of the transporter... In the scene where they're fighting, where Spock and Khan, I'm just going to call him James Harrison because it doesn't piss me off as much, where (laughs) Khan and Harrison were fighting on the bus Uh over San Francisco. The space bus. The space bus. Yeah. The space bus. They can't lock onto them. Why can't they lock onto them? Because they're moving too fast? Wait a minute. I remember in the first film, Kirk and Sulu are falling at terminal velocity. Actually, probably faster because the gravity of the freaking planet is just tearing things to shreds. And yet, Chekhov can beam them from midair just before they hit the ground. You're telling me that he can't get them off of a space bus? And then also in that first movie, when Winona Ryder fell at also terminal velocity down the cliff, couldn't do that. Not even yet, though. She started to accelerate, and he still couldn't catch her. Oh, and David says the space garbage truck, not the space bus. You're right. It was the bonus features. Yeah, probably space The bonus features on one of the 46 different DVDs you have to purchase from Paramount to get all of the special features. Mm -hmm. So everything from the way that the movie treated the characters to the way they treated the technology, to the way it treated the intelligence of the audience. They only had time in this little video for 61 sins in the movie. I believe they could have made it much longer, but then it would have you know, exceeded the attention span of most people who watch YouTube. So, But go check it out. It's a great video. I laughed out loud at a couple of them. 
Links will be in our show notes. Tell us what you think. If they missed some big sins, and I know they did, so you tell us what sins they missed. That's one of the community questions for this week. Tell us what additional sins you think Star Trek Into Darkness made. I mean, this conversation is going to go on until the third film, so we might as well keep having it. So give us your thoughts on Star Trek Into Darkness sins by leaving a comment in the comment section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com or in the Star Trek Online forum post when we post the show. But moving on, Captains, discover something you think the rest of our listeners would enjoy hearing about? Well, send it over to us via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. That's our email address. You can always reach us there. All right, moving on, let's check out what happened in Star Trek Online news. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. So the big question on everyone's mind has been, where is the featured episode we were anticipating for September? It wasn't really that big. I mean, it was smaller. It's like, oh man, where'd it go? Well, listen, I really was looking forward to this featured episode. Turns out... I clearly missed a memo, and it's been pushed according to a post by community manager Brandflakes. In the post, Brandon writes, While it could easily ship this month, Cryptic is working to add something special to the episode that requires a little more time. You will start to see a few teasers about the episode here and there as we lead up to its release. The first teaser came out in the form of uh, September 20th's Friday screenshot of what looks to be tall spires reaching into the sky. Links, of course, will be in the show notes. Our first glimpse, perhaps, into a sector map of a Dyson Sphere? Maybe a mission map? I don't know, but I guess we'll have to see in the coming weeks. I'd rather they wowed us. We were talking last week about how we've become accustomed to Cryptic wowing us with their featured episodes and the new story content they give us, so... They need a couple more weeks to do this. I see nothing wrong with that. Wow us. Dazzle us. Well, we have the return of another old favorite. The Crystalline Catastrophe is back as a reputation project from now until Thursday, October 17th, 2013. Queue up for the 10 Captain Crystalline Cataclysm event to earn one crystal shard per day, essentially every 20 hours. After you collect 14 of them, players can complete a new event reputation project for 50,000 unrefined Elithium Ore, 500 Fleet Marks, 25 Bonus Marks of the Captain's Choice, and a very rare Gravimetric Duty Officer. Once the new main reputation project is complete, a brand new bonus one shard project will become available to slot. Completing this will earn players 2,000 Dilithium Ore, unrefined, 50 fleet marks and 35 bonus marks of the captain's choice. If you want to participate and earn these crystal shards, queue up for either the normal or elite version of this event in your PvE queue button up there in your minimap. But watch out. There be bugs here. Jeremy Borkus Cryptic Randall has already fixed them, but they're not live in the game yet. Until that patch goes live, it might be a good idea to stick to the normal version and avoid the elite. I jumped in for a quick run right before we started doing the show tonight and yeah that's hard on elite spoiler alert captains if you haven't played it yet mirror ships spawn in from little rifts all around the crystalline entity now and it's kind of a spam fest out there if you aggro those mirror ships you will not get close to the crystalline entity without drawing phaser fire from every possible direction so it's kind of 
really hard to complete the event on Elite right now. Supposedly what's going to happen is the Crystalline Entity is going to be changed a bit to recognize the mirror ships as enemies, and so the Crystalline Entity will be shooting at you and at the mirror ships. They're also going to do some changes, I think, to the spawning and despawning rates of those mirror universe spams. So until they get that sort of tweaked around, I'd stick to normal if I were you. Watch the Cryptic official forum feed for updates on when that patch goes live. Finally, after months of waiting, Star Trek Online's executive producer, Daniel Stahl, can pull a sticky note from his monitor. The Idic Tribble is now available on the C-Store under the Personnel tab. Captains, this long, sought-after Tribble will, depending on your career, provide specific career-related buffs to your character. Additionally, if you're in a team with other career captains and they're running their own Idic Tribble, you'll gain the The Full full Synergy synergy Ground ground Buff. Additionally, the Edic Tribble can be used by Klingons and other species, to which Tribbles are typically hostile. This Tribble is Polygaminus Grex Veritas. What this means is, let's say you're a tactical officer, you will get a 2.5% damage increase on the ground. If you're an engineer, it's plus 2.5 damage resistance rating. If you're a science, it's plus 0.02 health regen. Now, if you're in a team with a science with an engineer and with a tactical and you're each holding and running the idic tribble you'll get this full synergy ground buff which will give you 2.5 percent additional damage increase plus 2.5 additional damage resistance rating and plus 0.02 additional health regen and this can stack so let's say there are two engineers you'll get double the damage resistance if you're running two science it'd be double the additional health regen and so on and so forth so so i'm sure very many theory crafters will find out what the best team setup will be to get the most out of this tribble but finally the long-awaited idic tribble is now available to captains i bet they did that just because dan stall was running out of real estate on the edge of his monitor yeah i'd hate to see that thing it probably looks like you know it has like a yellow sticky note beard a picture frame around it. And he just refuses to remove the one from Craig Zinkovic. Also, we had an interview with a dev blog come out. Captain Gecko stops by to answer some questions, and we thought we'd highlight a few of them. Uh, someone asked, plans to upgrade older ships like the Nebula Galaxy, maybe the Odyssey and the Bortoscu? And Gecko says, quote, we are strongly considering giving older ships a second look to see if any of them need some more love. We have a couple in mind. I don't want to share which ones yet in case the list changes. But to be clear, I'm talking about older ships, not the Odyssey or the Bortoscu. We're happy with those, but we may consider new set bonuses for them. Now, Gecko's been on our show several times, and he's already kind of clued into what his wish list would be. The Galaxies are going to get some love. The Dakir is going to get some love. And some of those other ships that have been out for a while, before they sort of hit their stride and got their rhythm with their sort of ship iteration pattern. I'd anticipate those pre-free-to-play ships are going to get some upgrades sometime. Well, what's interesting is we were just talking about this last week in the last few episodes with the release of the new Sea Store ships and people really clamoring and really desiring the updates to these older ships, particularly older Sea Store ships. And I understand that, you know, the Odyssey and the Portosk probably won't get that kind of love, probably not even the Vesta, because they are still quote-unquote newer ships. Then we get into the discussion of whether or not sea store ships are even worth purchasing when you have, let's say, fleet ships. 
so perhaps the set bonuses is a way to go with these ships. Perhaps revisiting the stats is another way. I'd like to see what comes down. But anyway, moving on. Speaking of ships and ship stats and upgrading, somebody did ask a question about run one particular looking ship, but having the stats of another. Right. Um, you want to decouple the ship appearance from the ship stats and abilities. Right, which is what I understood the question to be. To which Gecko offered a very interesting reply, saying, We have considered allowing users to purchase bridge officer seating and ship slot options for their ships, but this would require a significant amount of new tech. Even though it is a lot of work, we do think it's worth it, but it's too early to say exactly what that means for players. I never even thought of that. I never thought that they would go that route. It would definitely offer more of a sandbox type of gameplay for your captain and how you run your ship but i don't know i guess you know in pve that's great it doesn't really make a difference but for pvp gameplay and i'm not even a pvper that could be tough how is somebody gonna go into a match see a ship and you know it's running an extra bridge officer it's running a power that you weren't expecting that could be interesting i've often alluded to the fact that this game is starfleet command 4 anybody out there is familiar with the Starfleet Command series, this game is Starfleet Command 4, and I wasn't a big fan of Starfleet Command 3, but one thing that I loved was their loadout screens. They gave you a certain amount of mass to play with, and within those limits, you could load up any equipment you could afford to purchase for your, you know, whatever the point system was. I think it was Prestige or something like that. So you could trade weapon power for a faster engine, or a more powerful warp core, or a bigger shield. And I've always thought that that kind of loadout flexibility for boss stations or for consoles or anything like that would be really fun to have in Star Trek Online. Yes, I know it's already a complicated system. Yes, I know the tech is all set up for, you know, doing it the paper doll way they have it now. I understand that. But it would be really cool to do that. And it would open up, like you said, for PvP, it would open up some really interesting options like a reason to have sensor probes or to boost your power to your aux because then you could have a UI element or a separate screen that showed the other guy's layout so you knew what was coming before he actually opened fire on you. You know, I mean, that's the sort of additional depth of gameplay that might be really cool in a PvP environment to give people, you know, these min-maxers something else to worry about now that they've got their builds tweaked out to maximum. There would be a different dimension that they'd have to unlock figuring out the other guy's loadout and balancing the system power or the tools to accomplish that. I don't mind it. I like the idea of being able to purchase bridge officer seating. It'd be nice, you know, say, oh, man, I really wish I had an extra science slot here, you know, an extra science power. Oh, let me go buy it in my temporal destroyer or something of that nature. You know, that'd be nice. That'd be interesting. Could it break PvE? Probably not. Would it break PvP? I mean, you know, PvP is something that already needs love. I'm interested in seeing how a change like this would affect that type of gameplay. Going into a fight seeing one type of ship and then all of a sudden they pop out with a power that you were not expecting it can make it interesting it could break it we'll see well and we've got another question what's the decision process behind the decision i guess to release fleet versions of certain ships gecko replies it isn't effective to release too many ships at once especially competing ships typically we release fleet versions of ships sometimes after a sea store version is released presumably this question is regarding the arkeef Eventually, a fleet version will be made available, but I would rather not speculate on the exact date. So there you go, James. Oh, wait, you're not going to listen to the show, James. But okay, anyway, anybody who listens to James, 
there you go. You're going to get a fleet version someday. I believe the impression was from Brand Flakes that, no, there were no plans to see a fleet version. I don't know if he added the at this time. At least here, we're getting a bit more of a certainty from Gecko saying, okay, the, like the Archive, if that's what the big discussion is right now, yes, there will be a fleet version eventually. I think right now people were just up in arms over the fact that it seemed that there would never be a fleet version of the ship. So hopefully this will qualm and oh, and calm never say never. some concerns about that Arkeef, and we can finally put that ship to rest. And a question came up about PvE and the necessity for other careers in the game. I think specifically this was in Ground, to which Gecko replied, I don't personally agree with the statement and feel that it's a hyperbole to say science abilities are useless and the tanking role is obsolete. At the same time, I completely acknowledge that many players prefer DPS builds over control or tanking builds. That shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone, but I feel this is usually the opinion of hardcore and dedicated players. Hardcore players will always find the most optimal build. Gecko continues on to respond to this question, and this is where I really enjoyed it. Gecko goes on to say and write, There are a few ways to address this. Make everything else better. Nerf escorts. Oh, the horror! (laughs) Offer gameplay objectives that only certain classes can achieve. Offer new gameplay mechanics to other classes to make them tactically interesting. Or change the entire game to satisfy more traditional tank support DPS MMO gameplay. Any change will either have no significant effect on the perceived value of escorts, or it could possibly just shift the quote-unquote flavor of the week. Gecko continues to say some of the new content in Season 8 has objectives that are better completed by different ship classes, but I don't believe any of these changes will significantly change ship roles in Star Trek Online. Our goal is to keep things fresh and fun. And this is something I believe we talked about several episodes ago. This discussion had come up again where, you know, you can go into a PvP engagement with just a bunch of tactical officers and just destroy everything in sight. And some missions you have to have that. I'm looking at you, no in scenario. Right. But I've gotten used to that, and I've almost forgotten other MMOs and the necessity that there was to have other traits with you. You know, the one game I always harken back to, City of Heroes, it would be hard for you to go into any random mission without calling out to the crowd looking for team. You know, need a scrapper for team, need a tanker for team. And I kind of wish I felt more of that with Star Trek Online, but right now what it really feels like is you can go into any STF, for instance, with any team without having to worry about it. You can go into a pug, and it could be four tacticals and one science. There's just no drive. There's no need. There's no incentive to get into a team of other careers to complete a mission of any type. And I hope that with Season 8, like he said, that there will be objectives that need to be completed by different ship classes. That would be really fun. Just little things like that, like we saw in previous featured episodes, where if you were with a tactical a science and an engineer, each one had a different objective in the mission. And if you completed all three, you got an accolade. It would be nice to see more of that in coming missions, where you really just, you had to find somebody. You know, that's MMO, massively multiplayer online role-playing game. I would love to see a little more of that in Star Trek Online. I'm not saying overhaul the whole thing. I'm not saying nerf escorts. But just maybe in the mission objectives, 
you know, hey, I need an engineer. Is anybody in the fleet available to join me on this mission? An engineer, I would really like this accolade. Or a special reward, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, if you complete the mission with all your careers. Yeah, and we've been down this road a little ways when Gecko's talking about additional armor slots or the secondary deflector for the science ships. You know, it would also support that kind of idea if each ship that you had also had a different kind of role. Like if you had mission objectives that only a science officer or a tactical officer or a science ship could achieve, you know, and you got an accolade for that, that's great. Also do one for different kinds of ships so that you could have a tactical officer flying a science ship. And it would be his ship with that special piece of equipment that would enable you to get that extra bonus accolade or unlock that special option or whatever. People carrying a certain device on that certain class of ship that was restricted to that class of ship, that would also provide some variety and give incentives for people to try out a science ship and try to kit it out for extra damage so it could carry that loadout into the mission that required the secondary deflector. You know, for escorts, people are saying, oh, escorts are already cool enough and everybody loves them already. Put a targeting computer on there. It doesn't matter what the thing is or what it does. Just have it be a gate so that it would incentivize people to have a team that had your traditional triad, tank, DPS, and healer. This is supposed to be a social game. You want to have people with different preferences, different abilities, different gameplay styles be required to work together, and that's part of the fun of it. It's part of the integral part of the gameplay. So, moving on in Star Trek Online news, Tony, patch notes, please. Big announcement, huge surprise, and a gigantic reversal from previous statements from Cryptic Studios. Lobi is now account bound. Elijah, how many times have we had this question? And how many times have we heard unequivocally, with no hesitation or reservation, that that's just not the way things are going to be done? I was under the impression that hell would have to freeze over for low-buy crystals to become account-bound. But now, hell has apparently frozen over. And I just tested it myself before the show. And I had 12 low-buy crystals on one of my characters that I was never going to spend on anything ever, and I plopped it right into my account bank, ready to be picked up by one of my other characters. So, it's working, it's there, it's real, and I am astounded. I think it's a good move, honestly. I don't see how not doing that would have hurt them, you know, would be hurting the financials of Perfect World Entertainment, the end game, because... You know, a player spending money is a player spending money. You know, they're going to do it for whatever alt that they might have. This is a good move, and I like it that I can now, the remaining low buy I have, I can move to another character, whether it be Klingon, Federation, or Romulan, and use those there. It won't hurt as much making a purchase on one character, thinking that I'm going to have to do the same thing over again on another character. Yeah, and this is, I think, maybe, I hope, an opening salvo maybe in rearranging the economy skiffy has a good question in the chat room does this now mean they're planning to introduce more character bound items in the lobby store though i don't think so and you know there's some going to be some discussion about this and i'm going to tell you why because i really do think that they need to open up the economy as i've been stating for the last three or four weeks to be a little more transparent and a little more free and give people a little more feedback about what they're doing. There's a certain amount of advantage to them to keep things 
close to their chest to keep things clandestine, to not exactly disclose the rates of stuff. Because then, as we've discussed, if you really don't know the odds on the lockboxes, you believe you have a much greater chance of getting something cool out of it than you actually do. You just believe that. But, you know, that'll work in the short term. But over the long term, if an economy is going to run, there's got to be transparency. People have to believe in the system. People have to think that they're getting a good deal. If you deceive them into believing they're getting a good deal, that'll work for a while. But long term, it just doesn't. And so I'm hoping that the idea that Cryptic starts to treat each account as a customer, not each character on the account as a customer, I think that will serve them well in the long run. And I think that having more things, if they want to have things account-bound, I think that that's fine because that means they're selling to a customer. That customer purchases it once. That belongs to the customer. Having things character-bound, that makes more sense in terms of time spent in-game. But they're already doing that with the Dilithium. You get Dilithium rewards for time spent in-game, and you can transfer that Dilithium between characters via the exchange. So I think they're rethinking the economy a little bit, and I applaud this. Yes, I think that this is a step in the right direction. I hope that they are looking at the economy again and revisiting how they handle it. I hope that they do see the value that a single player can have with multiple characters. So, Captains, that wraps up this episode of Star Trek Online News. But before we do that, here's this week's community question. What do you think about Lobby Crystals now being account bound? Does this entice you more into spending in lockboxes and buying keys and opening them up? Is this the first step in a new economy revamp? Let us know your thoughts in the comments section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com or on the forum post on StarTrekOnline.com. Let's move to our community spotlight with another Foundry Mission Review by Chivalry Bean. Chivalry being here with another Foundry Officer Report. Today we look at Cute Fuzzy Things by Hippie John. Cute Fuzzy Things is episode 1 of the Miranda Mayhem series. The goal of the mission is to be a pastiche of Saturday morning cartoons. I'd say it does a pretty good job of it. Except the writing is maybe a little better than some cartoons. The mission is straightforward with a dash of intrigue, it's humorous, and amusing. You start by talking to a DJ on Earth Space Dock, which makes sense since Miranda and the Mayhems are an intergalactic traveling band that will surely run into some kind of trouble every episode. Why is Starfleet going to aid a set of musicians? I'm not sure yet, but it is addressed in the mission that it seems out of place. There's more than a half shell of attention put to the plot. The characters you meet are interesting and at times humorous to talk to as you come across them in the mission. The outside maps allow for exploration and taking different paths to an objective, engaging or avoiding combat as you desire. I did accidentally get into a scuffle while investigating the clues, but what would a good cartoon be without a bit of action while looking around at the machines of mystery? Yes, I might have gotten away with it too. The plot is fairly simple as the episode is concerned. However, it is clear that while the initial plot is as simple as some Saturday morning cartoon, there is more than meets the eye. If I were to suggest improvements, despite going for the more pure cheese of waking up before your parents and shelling spoonfuls of milk log sugar into your face while still wearing your jammies and watching the quality writing of Saturday morning, the plot could be a little less obvious. I saw it coming, 
Of course, knowing is half the battle. But it didn't pretend to be difficult to figure out either. Not really a complaint, but it could stick to a lot of the tropes and still have a little more complexity in the objectives and things to do. Cute Fuzzy Things does a great job of emulating a cartoon show, should invoke some chuckles, and is a promising first mission of a series of Looney Tunes. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Sean Newboy writes in, I don't take the surveys anymore because of the same thing Elijah went through. None of them pay that much zen. I would not mind the Jem'Hadar attack ship being given a hangar. It's still a little weak. Maybe a fleet version with an extra science console slot and more hull. Oh, and don't forget the point two bonus to shields. Winky face! I think dilithium mines have way too many features that require dilithium to pay for them. Great show, everyone. Sean Newboy, check, check, and check, sir. Well spoken. Woody Valley writes in, Yeah, good to see Australia is not the only one who gets quote-unquote selective surveys. I find it better to just put some money aside until I have enough to buy some Zen and only try available surveys before I transfer the Zen to Stowe. Also, a comment about the Foundry and the Foundry authors. I always try to keep an open mind with the Foundry. Not everyone is the same in how a Foundry mission is made. Seeing the upcoming Foundry series will most likely see this with stories from different authors. Every author is different. They bring their own style to the Foundry. It might not be to everyone's taste, but it would be pretty dead in seeing the same thing. Great show, guys. Chivalry Bean writes in, Surveys on other sites have the same issues of going several minutes and then getting booted. They aren't something I'd go to the hills of Austria to sing about. Nor would I, sir. Azurian Star writes, Peanut Surveys. There is an old saying, There is no such thing as free money. And this is a good reflection of that old adage. If you are desperate for zen, then convert your dilithium. Else, you'll likely get something you didn't bargain for. Like phone calls from telemarketers? And insults to your heritage? Insults to my heritage? Yes, that's correct. You know what I did do is before I started these surveys, I would actually run my Linux box on these surveys. I know better. I've seen, you know, I work in the industry. I know that you can very easily get hacked or get a virus and... Peanut Survey isn't going to be monitoring these things. So I would run these surveys in my Linux box just to add that extra peace of mind and security. Plus, I also gave my spam email. THR Ranger XML writes in with some instructions on how to play Neverwinter without Arc or Steam. It's a good instructive post, and I encourage all interested parties to head over to the STO forums on our Priority One show post and check that out. But it completely misses the point. I don't want to have barriers between me and the game or to have to, you know, fiddle around with clients and downloading and then restructuring my folders and putting the link to the client.exe in a different... I just want the game. And if I'm going to, like, just try out a game, I don't want to have to do other stuff to just try it out. My point is, is that if you want to put more barriers between customers trying to check out your free-to-play game... You might just turn some of them off. That was kind of my point. 
I only wanted to play Neverwinter to check out the special astral crystals or whatever they have and how they're different from dilithium and just sort of get my hands dirty on the system. And you throw up the barrier and I just don't want to play. I just don't want to do it. It's just my opinion. I think that it's the first move into cloud gaming, you know? I mean, with Steam, you know, I've downloaded it on my laptop, I've downloaded it on my desktop, and with having downloaded it on my laptop, I know... I have access to my library. I can download these things. Sure. And it's just, it's a move into cloud. It might be early. It might be rough in the first iteration. I wouldn't download Arc If I were to download the game, it'd be through Steam, most certainly. But here's the thing. In an MMO, it is, by definition, a cloud game. I mean, you have to be connected to the internet to play it. Steam, there's, like, different kinds of games on Steam. You know, you can sync up your library if, of single-player games, Right. Well, you see, it depends on what MMO you're playing. In The Matrix Online, for instance, it was an MMO, but it was definitely not cloud. If I installed The Matrix Online on my laptop, I would have to completely reconfigure my loadout bar because it would not remember it. It was not saved on the server. It was saved on the client side. Right, that's a game design thing, right? But that's away from the cloud, at least with things like Star Trek Online and perhaps even with Steam in some games. Your game account information is saved within Steam, uploaded to their system, and then you can easily download it. For an MMO, I get it. It doesn't work out that well, but if you're playing another game like Half-Life or Portal or whatnot... Single-player game. Yeah, single-player games, yeah. The utility of a format like Steam is that I can play the same single-player game on a variety of different machines in a variety of different locations. That's already this game, Star Trek Online and Everwinter, by design. That's how it's designed. All of that loadout information, all those stuff are saved server-side. It may be saved client-side as well, but it's got to check in with the server before it allows you to do anything. That's the design of it. The ARC system is just a layer on top of that that is only there to sweep up your data (laughs) and follow your browsing habits and other stuff like that. It it doesn't add anything to the gameplay dimension. Steam arguably does because of that, you know, single-player syncing sort of thing. So, Ranger XML, thank you very much. Yes, your methods of working around the systems are good. I mean, that would work just fine if I was so desperate to play Neverwinter that I was willing to, like, work around these things. I just don't care. I'm just not interested. I am less interested in playing Neverwinter than the work it would take me to implement your perfectly sound workarounds. I just don't want to. That one, that was my point. Rob Ray 71 writes in, Dilithium as a currency was positioned as a win for STO players, providing us with a free method to acquire Zen. Rightfully, putting a short cap on the amount of refined dilithium per day was PWE, or Cryptic's way, of making it an intelligent business decision as well. However, if the demand for different C-Store items, for example, things other than keys and fleet modules, continues to decline, then this no longer becomes a win-win scenario for both parties. Why would someone grind dilithium for Zen? Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's been a humongous swing in the dilithium exchange. There's a lot of dilithium is going to be flooding the market with this crystalline shard event and the 50,000 refined ore and the 2,000 dilithium per shard reputation project that comes after that. There's going to be a lot of extra dilithium on the market. So Cryptic has recognized that there's a bit of a shortage out there and is trying to correct it. Good job. It's a step in the right direction, but I don't think it's enough. Uh, I really think that there needs to be more dilithium out there. I mean, I don't think that there's enough out there right now, and it's too difficult to earn, and you have to do certain things to earn it, and the things that people want to do, they have to basically split their time between things that earn marks, and the things that earn reputation, and things that earn dilithium, and the things that you can get energy credits for, and you can't swap between them. You can't trade them. 
You can't trade the things you have extra of for the things you have not enough of. And there needs to be more of those mechanisms in the game. But that's just me. Nighthammer writes in. Oh, that's Jay. Hi, Jay. Hello. This is from Jay. Now here's a question for you guys from the sound room. What would you think if Cryptic were to create some science-heavy Romulan ships? Hmm. Well, Jay, some people kind of are thinking the same way you are. Rob DMC writes in. What I think might breathe new life into science vessels is by making aux beam arrays that are equipable to any science vessel. Since most of these ships are Federation, you can make them all phaser and then leave different energy beam arrays available when you unlock other ships. For example, aux tetrion beams only when you unlock an orb weaver. Hmm, interesting idea. Might make people want to get fleet science ships and any fleet vessel that still takes fleet ships module so Cryptic makes their money. So yeah, I think that's an interesting idea. And it might make science ships a little more viable in Endgame. They need the extra deflector slot that Al's been talking about for a while. And I think this beam idea is kind of cool. You know, it's like the Vesta has the cannons that draw from ox power. Special beam rays that draw ox power on the science ships might be kind of fun. And then tying the unlockability of extra beam types... Polaron if you unlock a Gemadar ship from a lockbox. Tetrions if you unlock a Orbweaver or other Thelian ship. That's an interesting idea. But then, of course, it's got to get trolled. This known troll, this new guy, we've got Eli Jamray. God, this guy is annoying as hell. He goes, I don't know if science ships will ever sell on their own the sea store. I can only assume that a majority of players want more explosions. The only way they'll get a science vessel to sell on sea stores is to include it in a bundle like the Odyssey. This guy, what does he know? You know what, that Eli Jamari? That Eli Jamari. He's a smart guy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He is just ignorant. He's uh. ignorant is what he is. God, <laughs> guy is such a troll. <laughs> we finally hear from Elfwin, and Eli Jamari and I should uh, tag team on reading this one, because it's a long one, but it's a good one. I think it's a good discussion. And Priority one was early to this discussion by, I don't know, 18 months, two years or so, but we'll, we'll get into that as we go along. Elfwin writes in, I am going to start this email with a bold supposition. Cryptic is not going to make the content that I want them to make. Ever. And by content, I mean new STFs, PvP maps, featured episode series, in short, all the good stuff we got in the first year of STO. Going forward from that supposition, I can see two options. Option A would be Cryptic will continue to stumble along from one adventure zone to the next, trying to guesstimate what will make them more money, while throwing in a few bones now and again. Like a single featured episode or a summer-winter event. Hmm. Or there's option B. Cryptic begins to sell content. Now, before you start with, but Cryptic does not sell content, forget that. How would you like to see Cryptic selling content? Via the C-Store, like a 10 or $15 PvP map? 20 or $30 for an STF or featured episode? Or maybe via Kickstarter, where they can guarantee their return on investment right up front? I don't think paying for content is going to be the way to go. We have had this discussion several, several weeks, months ago, about whether or not paying for content is the way to go for Star Trek Online. I think we've seen that item sales are the way to go in one way, shape, or form. It's just how they sell the items that's starting to be a little bit of a problem. It's how one attains these ships and how one gets a hold of these elite items. If it was a big expansion, maybe, maybe I would cough up the $60, you know. I'm going to make a mistake here. You ready? I'm going to admit this mistake right up front. I'm going to come out. I'm going to own it. I'm going to admit it right up front, even before I make it. I'm going to walk into this knowing I'm making a mistake. Are you ready? They need to do a Kickstarter campaign, and people who contribute to it above a certain threshold get to play the content first. Mm, no. Yes. 
No, yes. no, I no, 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 sir, I disagree with you. There is no way I'm going to pay money to have access to a mission first. No, no, no. But I would. You know, the thing about Kickstarter is that when I think Kickstarter, I think Star Trek Renegades. I think Rebuild the Enterprise. I think of these projects of people who don't have money and need money. You know, Cryptic and Perfect World, they have money. They have plenty of money. Yes, they do, and they're not going to spend it on what I want. No. Right, they're not going to spend it on what you want, and I don't think that a Kickstarter is the answer to that. I believe that the answer would be to take a different approach in perhaps mission building. You know, for instance, giving science people and tactical and engineers something to do that unites people. I would only go so far as to say I would pay for an expansion, like Legacy of Romulus. I might, might be willing to cough up $60 for something like that. But it's not going to happen. They're not going to do it. It does go against the free-to-play model. Letting some people play first goes against the free-to-play model? I think that hurts. I think that hurts the community. It splinters the community. It gives an elitist attitude. People will be talking about it on the forums, ruining it for the rest of the community. And I want to go so far as to say it's not Star Trek-y, but then again, you know, there are things <laughs> in Star Trek Online that are not Star Trek-y. But when it boils down to it, I think it would splinter the community when it doesn't need to be. I don't think that it's a matter of who gets to play it first. I think it's a matter of there are missions that we want to see happen. There's content that we want to see. And either it's only a matter of time before we see it or we just have to talk more about it and clamor more about it and bring more attention to these things so that they're aware that it's what we want. I think this could be an interesting debate because I think getting a mission a week early in return for the $5 donation a $5 contribution to the Kickstarter campaign. If enough people fund it, then this is, you know, the community comes together and buys a present for the rest of the community. Some segment of the community gets together, raises the funds, Cryptic commits to doing the project, and then I get it early. If they were an indie company, if they were like an indie game developer company, I'd say, yeah, by all means, 100%. Tony, I completely agree with you. But they're not an indie game company. This is a global company. I'm not going to give them more money. I'm not going to donate donate that's the word there donate money to them i contribute money by buying lockboxes. i contribute money by buying a ship i contribute money by buying more slots on my inventory it's a matter of them honing in on what players want to buy captains what do you want to see do you want to see and this actually is a community question from elfwin what do you want to see would you like to see cryptic implementing the selling of content sooner rather than later do you see a current fee content distribution Two times per year or something of that nature. Would you pay for a featured episode? What more are you willing to pull out of your pocket to see the things you want done? So let us know. Let us know what you think. Let us know how we can get Cryptic to make the content that we're clamoring for. Is it a monetary thing? Is it having to spend more money? Because we know for a fact that they have been gaining money because they've doubled their team. So we know that they've got it. But we'll see. We'll see what everybody else thinks. Of course, you can leave your comments in the comments section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com or on the Star Trek Online forums for its forum post. Well, and thank all of our new Twitter followers this week. Thank you guys for your follows and your retweets. Also want to thank everybody on Facebook. I got a comment from Chris over there. He says there are rumors going around that the KDF are in store for a new ship, supposedly released by the end of the year. Apparently the ship is being uh, worked on. It's a version of the Negvar. I asked about these rumors in the forums. People told me that it may have started in an interview you guys did with Cryptic a while back. If you can just give us the goods, that'd be great. Gecko addressed this a little bit in his Ask the Dev. He said that the ship is going to be delayed. He wouldn't come right out and say it's going to be the Negvar. But that was one of the things that he has 
alluded to repeatedly in his interviews with us that he wants to do a kind of a plus one Negvar like the uh, Regent class was a plus one Sovereign. I'd suspect that that's what he's working on, but he has kind of pushed back the expectations of, of when it's going to be released probably past the release of Season 8. So that's the goods that we have. If There may be other goods out there, but that's the ones that we know about. All right, Captains. We love hearing from you in our live chat room. So be sure to join us every week on trekradio.net in the IRC chat room. But during the week, you can get a hold of us via email at incoming at priority1podcast.com. And of course, on the Star Trek Online forums or on priority1podcast.com. Keep them coming. We love hearing from you. And that'll do it for episode 143, recorded live on trekradio.net. Remember, we've moved our Thursday night live recordings on Trek Radio to 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. Captains, we're looking for new writers and bloggers. Join our team as a guest blogger on PriorityOnePodcast.com. If you have other skills that you believe could enhance our content, then reach out to us via email at incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. As you are well aware, I'm sure, we love hearing from you, our loyal listeners, and we've been getting great feedback lately as our extra-long feedback segments that we've been recording no doubt have illustrated. If you have a suggestion, idea, or topic for any of our segments, or if you just want to let us know how we're doing, our email address is incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you in iTunes as well. Let us know how we're doing in the comments section of this podcast on iTunes. You can stay in touch with us throughout the week by following our social media websites. Head over to Facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast and give us a like. Or check us out on Twitter via at STO Priority One. Priority One is brought to you by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please visit PriorityOnePodcast.com to find out how you can help support the show. Additionally, we want to invite you to join us for our next in-game fleet event hosted by Priority One Podcast Fleet on Sunday, October 6th at 8 p.m. Eastern. I plan to be there and stream the event on Twitch.tv via the Priority One channel, so stay tuned to our Twitter feed at One for more information. Also, Captains, I want to remind you don't forget and support a friend of Priority One Podcast. Check out Splatter Studios' Trek-inspired canvas art by visiting their eBay auction. You can run a search for Ambassador-class Starship Splatter Painting. Links, of course, will be in the show notes. Listen, if the auction goes well, you'll be seeing many, many more Trek-inspired canvas art. A special thanks to the entire team behind Priority One Podcast. Additionally... Audio editing and engineering for this episode of Priority One Podcast was brought to you by Nighthammer Sound Productions. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. A special thanks to our sponsor, Sayulita.com. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio, Blackstar Radio, and Trek Radio. Most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek online community, and our listeners. Without your ongoing support none of this would be possible. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage.
Transfer complete. The albino people. The albino people. But it, the planet was... Uh, oh, shit. What was the name of the planet? The red one. Nibiru. 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 Nosferatu. Yeah, not, not for, for tofu. tofu, yes. It was not for tofu, yes. Chicago. Chicago. <laughs> Nibiru. Nibiru. Okay. Is now available on the steep... Oh, shillelagh. Oh, here we go. I don't know what the heck this means. I'm sorry. I got distracted. It's okay. You can tell me that you fell asleep during my speech. That's okay. <laughs> I did not fall asleep during your speech, but I did get distracted because I'm running 40 things at once. Ooh, shiny. So... The... Ooh, shiny. shiny. Ooh, piece of candy. And I applaud this. Yeah, so do I. I was paying attention <laughs> this time. Um, but let's reinvite Shivery Bean to. T- I can't think. You sweep us out into into Shivery Bean's founder review. There we go. See, that was unscripted. How do you like them apples? That was unscripted. Listen, I did the other one unscripted before, and then and then I knew you were thinking that I was unscripted, and then I got self conscious because I knew you were new. I knew that I that you knew that I knew that you knew that I was rolling that community question thing off the top of my head, and so we're gonna take a quick break right now and um, chalk up chalk up one for Tony <laughs> semantics. Yes, where you go, Tony? It may it might not. Oh my sweet, I can't read tonight. I can't read. Chivalry, chivalry being light writes in. God, I can't talk to you. Chival- What's going on tonight? I don't know. If the demand, I can't. I, you know what? I quit for the night. I'm done. I quit. I'm done. I quit. I just quit. I'm done. Guys, have a good night. Take care. <laughs> okay.